The start of the week and the radio is chock-a-block with stories. The tragedy of an unsolved murder, dancing with the stars and making a bucket list a reality. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. Poor Martin, he can't talk about what happened to him without getting extremely upset. I still feel for him because I now know why, how people can sign confession for something they didn't do. We go out for a meal. Yeah. Um, and for us, it, it's reasonably cheap, like much cheaper than you pay in um, any place in Ireland. That would be the same as, as uh, many local people's weekly or even um, two weekly salary. Wow. And he told me, now we're back. You know what that means? I was like, what? You have to ask me to marry her. I was like, oh. You have to ask him. I have to ask Why? him. Why? That's how princess he is. And we'll start here, making dreams come true. And if you have a heart made of solid granite, prepare to have it crumble into a soggy mess. On the Ray Darcy show in the afternoon, Ray introduced us to 11-year-old DJ Grimes and his mother Caroline. I want you to meet uh, DJ Grimes from Ruffin County Limerick. DJ is 11. How are you doing, DJ? Good. Thanks so much for coming up from Bruff. And his mum, Caroline, is with him as well. How are you doing, Caroline? Good. Uh, So... The train journey, how was that, DJ? It was good. Yeah, yeah. Do you like trains? Yes. Yeah. Love them or just like them? Both. Both, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what school are you in? Scolding Cousin. Right, and your teacher is? Miss Patton. Right. Uh, now, you're you're a bit of a superhero and your mum is going to tell us why you're a bit of a superhero. Will we do that? Yes. Yes, okay, Caroline. So tell us, tell us about DJ here. Um, so DJ was born with extra fingers and toes. He was born with an extra finger on his left hand, but it had no bone, so they tied it off. And he was born with six toes on both feet, with two fused right. and one curled. Um, he got the sixth toe removed in October 2011, and he had uh, one of the fused toes removed, the bone removed in 2016. And he's due to get more surgery for the third toe. His curls, so he has to get mm-hmm. reconstruction. Smiling through all of it, DJ. Yes, I am. Y- yes, you are. Because <laughs> you're a superhero, yeah. yeah. Um, he has asthma and he's epilepsy, obesity. Um, he had a moderate developmental delay going to school, global developmental delay. But he has come on loads yeah. with the help of his SNA and his teachers. And I was chatting to you outside and uh, the, the important questions are things like, you know, who's going to win a fight, Superman or Batman? Batman. Right, OK. Well, my wife Jenny would say Superman every time. Yeah. Because Batman has no superpowers. You know, has he? No. Yeah, we see. There you go. Where Superman does. Um, now, this, this brings us on. So you're learning Braille. Yes, I am. Is it difficult? No. No. You're flying at it, are you? Yes, I am. And why are you learning Braille? Uh, before I go blind. Right. And when are you going to go blind? Uh, in a few years. Okay. Right. How do you feel about that, DJ? Uh, a bit nervous. Yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. But your mum loves you. Yes, and she does. And you've a lot of people around you who love you. Yes, I do. They're going to be there for you. Yes, they are. Tell us about your little sister. Uh, my little sister Pippa, she's six years old and she loves our entire family. Yes. And how do you get on with little Pippa? Uh, good. Yeah? Yes. Do you annoy each other sometimes, perhaps? Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> the odd time, yeah. <laughs> but all brothers and sisters know each other. That's that's part of being a brother and being a sister, isn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Ray asked about the bucket list, the list of things to do before DJ loses his sight. So who came up with the bucket list? Hmm. Uh, my mum thought of it. Did she? Yeah. Did you you thought of it, Caroline? Did you? Yeah. 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 Uh, tell us about it then. Um, so he was up on the 22nd November to Temple Street and we got the news that it was deteriorating quicker than they had known. And obviously he explained about the braille and they were like, you'll need it in the next few years. Kind of giving him the heads up. So we left it a week because I knew it was upsetting him. And the school actually contacted me saying that he was nervous about appointments and everything. So while Pippa was in gymnastics, we sat in the car and we had a little cry and a little conversation about everything. Ish. And... I just said, do you want to do a bucket list? And um, what would you like to put on it? So he had four things. So what were the four things? Uh, meet Donico, Calhead, right. karate, golfing, golfing. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Fireman. Right. Now I know you've done a few of them already. Well, more than a few, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yes, you've you've met a fireman, and uh, yes, yeah. Were you in the fire engine? Uh, yes. Yeah, what was that like? Cool. Yeah. Then Ray read some of the items on DJ's bucket list. So, radio interview. Yes. Done. <laughs> We're doing it right now. Yeah, right now, <laughs> yes. Hey, take that Woo! off the bucket list. Yes. Ka-ching. Yeah. Ka-ching, yeah. Uh, visit a Greyhound track. Nah, yeah. Uh, Lego land. Mm, we have to do that. Uh, nature walk, that's easy enough to do, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, ride on a tractor. Done. Done. When did you do that? Uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Was it part of one of those Christmas tractor runs? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Were, there, were there lights on it? Yes. Yes. I, I'd say that was fun. Yes, it was. Yes. So, so you, you're, you're learning Braille. Yes, I am. So you'll be able to read books. Yes. Yeah. And you, you, as well as reading books, you want to do something else. You want to... Make my own book. Brilliant. In Braille. Yes. Yeah. And are you reading a lot at the moment? Yes, uh, Who's your favourite author? David Williams. Aha. And which is your favourite David Williams book? Gangster Granny. Yes. Well, just I just happen to have it here. You know, there's a Gangster Granny Strikes Again. Yes, I do. That's for you. That's Thank for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And and th- he's brilliant, isn't he? Yes, I am. What, what, <laughs> no, is. and he is, and you are, yeah. What do you think so brilliant about him? It's just that there's bold, a lot of bold yes. people in his books. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, do you know what I was thinking? Wouldn't it be great if you could get advice from your favourite author? Oh, yes. Because if you're going to write a book, you'll need, you know, because you haven't done it before. Wouldn't it be nice to get advice from somebody like, say... Somebody... Like David Williams? Yes. Yeah, say hello, David, and see what happens. Hi, David. Good afternoon, (laughs) DJ. (laughs) That's that's David Williams. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, Hello. He's he's a bit dumbstruck here, he's David. Uh, he's gone red, and he can't quite believe that it's you at the end of the line. So you have to prove that it is actually you, if you don't mind. Um, I hate Simon Cowell. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, okay? It can only be me. <laughs> well, well, listen, David. Thanks so much for calling in today. Um, and you, you've heard that DJ wants to write in Braille. 
you're his favourite author and he just wants a little bit of advice on how to become a writer. Ah, well, I think the, the trick is to write the story that you would like to read. So, DJ, if you like funny stories, you like my books, so maybe you like funny stories, you know, write, write a funny story. If you want to read a scare, if you'd like to read scary stories, write a scary story. Mm. And just write to please yourself, really. And the chances are, if you write a story that you really love, that other people are going to love it too. Um, and, uh, and, and the other thing is just be as original as you possibly can. And remember, the only limits to a good story are your own imagination because it's all going to come out your head. So if you want your characters to fly into outer space or meet dinosaurs or have an underwater adventure or whatever, if you can dream it, you can write it down and you can turn it into a story. So, you know, just, just let your imagination run riot and have fun with it as well. David Walliams there and DJ also loves trains. I know you were on the train today, right? Yes. Uh, and, and you're a big fan of trains. Yes, I am. So we got on to the boss man. He he doesn't own Inrod Aaron, but he's the man, you know, who talks for Inrod Aaron. Uh, and we said, what can yes. you do for DJ? You know, can you do anything for him? He's a big fan. He'd, he'd love to drive a train. And he, he sent us this voice note. Hi DJ, this is Barry Kenny from Ironwood Air and we hope you enjoyed your train journey up to Dublin today. Now we know on your bucket list one of the things you want to do is to drive the train. So we've arranged for you uh, to go to our special driving simulator which our drivers use when they're learning uh, how to drive uh, so that you can experience for yourself what it's like to drive our trains. We're looking forward to it and we look forward to seeing you soon. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's like the best computer game in the world. Yes, it is. Yeah, because you're there and it's like driving a real train. Yes, it but is. You, but you can't crash. And you oh. can, yeah, you can just do whatever you like. And you can go, you know, Limerick to Dublin, Limerick yes. to Belfast, whatever, wherever you want to go. Like Limerick to Dublin. Yeah. Dublin to Donegal. That's wherever you want to go, wherever you want to go. That's brilliant. And I know you mentioned the big man from Ireland's Fittest Family. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. He's your favourite coach from Ireland's Fittest Family. Yes, yes, he is. What is it about him? Um, He used to be a rugby player. He was. He played for Munster and you're a Munster fan. Yes. And he played for Ireland. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, he's a funny guy. Yes, he is. So we got on to him and uh, let's see what he has to say to you. Hi DJ, it's Donico Callan here. I hope you're keeping well. I'm really looking forward to us catching up in person really soon. Let's hope it's sooner rather than later. Okay, mind yourself and we'll chat soon. Bye. Right. Yeah. So we'll see what we can do there. Uh, and the zoo. Yes. What are your favourite animals in the zoo? I, lo- I love the lions. Do you? Yes. Right. You love the lions. So we put a call into Dublin Zoo because we had the boss man here recently. And we said, DJ's here. He has a bucket list and he's a big fan of the big cats. Yes. What can you do for him? DJ, my name is Julie Bavins and I'm a zookeeper here at Dublin Zoo. I look after our four Asiatic lions and I believe you are very fond of lions. So I'd love it if you could come in to us and tick that off your bucket list and we'll have a great chat about the lions and you can meet the four of them. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. 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 So you've a date. You've a date with a, a simulator. David yes. Williams, four lions. Yes. And Donegal Callan said he'd like to see you sooner rather than later. I wonder what, what does that mean. I have no clue. Yeah. 
I wonder I wonder if you could you know, do some magic spell or something and see if you can make him appear. I what, don't do magic. Do you don't do magic, right? You just you're just a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. We manifest, don't we? Yes, you we manifest. Do. Okay, well, we, will you manifest? Let's see, let's see if we can manifest. So if we all think, yes. Caroline, Mum, yeah. DJ, yes. if we all think about Donegal Callahan, let's yes. see if we can manifest him, okay? Manifest in Donegal Callahan, manifest in Donegal Callahan, manifest in Donegal Callahan. Man- oh, dear! Hi. How are you, Ray? Hi, Caroline. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> Lovely to see you. Sit down there, don't yes, go, Callum. Of course. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, DJ. <laughs> How are you? Good. I'm <laughs> delighted to meet you. You do. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm honoured to be on your bucket list. Yes. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to spending a bit of time with you and having the fun. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a huge fan of yours, Dominic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had been chatting to his mom, Caroline, so we've been chatting a fair bit, yeah, and yeah. I was aware of yes. uh, what Caroline's doing with uh, DJ's brilliant bucket list. But it's hard to pass David Williams, <laughs> isn't it? Wow, incredible! Well, you're here in the flesh. You're here in the flesh, Dominic. Yeah. Who's that, Dominic? Dominic. I'm here and I'm not taking away from David Williams in any way shape or form because he was brilliant yeah. uh, but he's more dumbstruck seeing yeah. you than he was here well, David Williams yeah exactly DJ I'm recruiting for Ireland's fittest family we're looking for a few good contestants for next year I could definitely do with a hand with a bit of coaching as well so you could yes. be someone that I could lean on a bit yeah yeah be yeah, up for that yes. yeah DJ Grimes and his mother Caroline on the Ray Darcy show And from Today with Claire Byrne, reporter with RTE Documentaries, Mick Pilo was talking about his TV documentary series, Crimes and Confessions. So three programmes in the series. The first is the disappearance of Una Linsky. We'll talk about that in a moment. The Salins train robbery is the other one and the Kerry Babies then is the final episode. Will you explain to us what links those three cases? Well, I suppose in, in the series, um, a mysterious mystery unfolds uh, in the course of the three episodes that I think the viewers will find fascinating, shocking, revealing. And the links between them have been drawn for the first time um, over... There's a 15-year period because all contain allegations of coerced confessions, um, fabricated statements and guarded brutality. Now, it is important to say that not all Gardaí investigating these cases had allegations made against them. Mm. But they all contain these allegations and... um, the first, the first one we're looking at is the is is an investigation, and I suppose the, the thing is, it's trying to be objective. We're trying to portray and analyse um, three Garda investigations into probably the most notorious miscarriage of justice cases in the history of the state, and we're basing it on solid research, court documents. We've got Garda files, um, books of evidence. We can see how the Garda are trying to investigate these cases mm-hmm. and the way they do them. But you also have the people uh, in this documentary tonight, and I, I was fortunate enough to see it yesterday, who lived through this. And it was just extraordinary to see the impact of this, these events on their lives. So we're going to talk about the Unalinsky case. It's the subject of the documentary tonight. Unalinsky disappeared in 1971. Will you tell us what happened? Yeah, Una Linsky, every, every day she got off a bus uh, at five to seven, seven o'clock after work, coming back from Dublin. She lives in this little 
place, a little lane uh, just outside Ratoth. It's a very close-knit community. She's part of a big family. There's Everyone knows everyone in this lane. Every day, everyone comes back from work along this lane. She does this, this journey. It's an 18-minute walk from the, the bus stop to, to her home. She doesn't come home. And uh, so she, she disappears and is never seen alive again. And within two days, the murder squad arrives. Um to look into a murder, uh, even though there is no uh, evidence of a murder. And within two weeks, the focus is on three local lads. And uh, the only th- problem the Guardi have is there's no evidence that puts these three local lads on the lane the same time as Una Linsky. OK, and these lads the are Dick Donnelly, Martin Conmey and Marty Carrigan. And they would have known Una and her family, her yeah. brothers and her cousins, because, as you say, close knit community living on, on, on this lane. Yeah, everybody knew everybody. Nothing happens on that lane without somebody noticing something strange. Or, so something strange was noticed on the lane that night. Um, there was a car seen on the lane that night um, by by six witnesses. There was even two or three of them had clearly described the driver of that car as a 40 to 45 year old man, business type man. The car was not of the area. It was a much, much more sophisticated car, Ford Zephyr, Ford Zodiac. And so locals thought that's that should that has to guardian need to look at that car. Mm. But the guardian appears didn't. This is the strange car, the unusual car, the expensive car, not the car that Dick Donnelly owned. Dick Donnelly owned a banger, a Mm. Ford Zephyr, mind you, but a banger of a car. But there was no evidence that that car was on the lane that night. So the guard, you go back to witnesses to find out, to get, to to, to see if there is any evidence. And within two days, they bring three lads in for questioning. And that questioning lasts for three days and it changes their lives forever. Okay, uh, let's take a clip now from the documentary. The first clip we're going to hear from is Dick Donnelly speaking about what happened to him and then we'll hear the voice of another one of those men questioned at that time, Martin Conmey. The door opening and in comes this other guy. Gave me such a slap across the face. It was the same as somebody shooting you. And he said, you'll tell us what we effing want to know. So he would reach into the fire, pull out the poker and stuck it into me arms and me side. I was actually roaring, screaming with the pain. They thought he was going to kill me with the poker. He was pushing in so hard into me side. The next thing he he left and the other two came back in. And that's when one of them drew out and hit me a belt on the side of the face and I just fell straight on the ground. Then he caught me by the hair and lifted me straight up. And then you could see the hair giving away in his hand. I could feel the lump in the side of my face getting bigger, you know. Martin Conley and Dick Donnelly speaking on the documentary Crimes and Confessions. Do you know what I found really devastating about listening to Martin talking in the documentary? He's so embarrassed about changing his statement, even now, even still. And he was little more than a child. Yeah, poor Martin. He can't talk about what happened to him without getting extremely upset. And um, I still feel for him because I now know why, how people can sign confession for something they didn't do. He berates himself every yeah, day. Yeah. He thinks he's weak. Mm-hmm. If he only knew, if you or I were in those situations, Claire, we would have done the same. 
Uh, and I, okay, Dick Donnelly didn't for some reason. He was an extraordinary strong man. Even though they would put pokers into him and everything else, he did not sign or incriminate himself. But what's extraordinary about this is three, two lads go to jail. One of those is killed by Unilinsky's, some members of Unilinsky's family. Uh, but the real perpetrator is never found. And it's it's and I suppose it's an appalling indict, indictment on on the Garda investigation, which has been discredited by by the Court of Criminal Appeal, and and, and I think we need to uh, you know Martin Martin still felt and Dick poor Dick died in the middle of me in researching this. Um, Dick says to me now, Mick, there needs to be no more grey areas. I'm, we have too many grey areas. People still think I got off on a technicality. And they still think Martin Kerrigan must have done something in order if he got killed. He must have done something. And so he wanted no more grey areas. But do he, you bear the weight of him oh, saying do, that to yeah. you? I, yes, that, that's, uh, <laughs> as a reporter, I just said, Jesus, do, do you give me such responsibility here, you know, that's huge. But in a way, um, you know, the Kerrigans feel that the, the Garda investigation um, has left a lot to be desired. And in some way, the Garda need to acknowledge uh, and take responsibility for the climate they created and the environment they created that brought about Marty's death. And, and you know, uh, Martin Connolly said to me, I got a state apology, I got compensation, but, you know, Mick, uh, I... I the Gardaí, I need a Garda apology, a public apology. But he's had that now, I read this morning. What's yeah. happened? Well, in, on foot of this programme, um, the Gardaí, because we asked them the questions, uh, and, and the Gardaí basically have issued a personal apology. Drew Harris um, issued a personal apology to Martin Connolly, apologising unreservedly for the pain and loss he suffered. And he's delighted, he's absolutely over the moon and delighted that this, in some way, is has now put to bed any question of his guilt in relation to the murder of Unilinsky. Then Claire asked Mick about one of the accused, 19-year-old Marty Kerrigan. Marty, Marty was the youngest of them and he was an innocent kind of a young fella. He had never been in a guard station before. And um, during his interrogation, he, he admits to the, to the, absconde, or the abduction of Unilinsky and actually makes up a story. Um, that she was, that Dick threw her in a pond. Um, so the guardy go off, he's go and investigate and, 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 and But th- th- she's not found in the pond, of course. He's made it up to try and get out of the guard station because he can't, he feels if I, if I admit to something, they let me go. Um, so in admitting to, to that, word of that gets back to the Linsky's family almost immediately. During the before in the investigation, so it's kind of a very unprofessional. It should never have happened. So the the Linsky family had this feeling that Marty Con, Marty um, Kerrigan is responsible for the death of Una Linsky and Dick Donnelly. So being the weakest link, this created huge tensions in the community. People took sides, families took sides, and um, Martin's life was was he felt he was threatened under serious threat. And um, when Una's body was found three months later in the mountains, they all thought, well, the, Martin Connolly and Dick Donnelly thought, well, now the truth will come out because they'll see that we have nothing to do with this. But they couldn't determine the cause of her death because her body was too far, badly decomposed. And um, the Gardaí didn't really have enough evidence to, to, um, to, to arrest the three lads. So the Linskys understandably got very frustrated, some of them. So Una's two brothers and her first cousin basically took Marty Kerrigan up the mountains and killed him and left him 
where Una's body was found a couple of days earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's just shocking tragedy. A tragedy built on tragedy. It should never have happened. I can't imagine, I mean, you will have seen it over the course of reporting this story, but the damage that has been done to that small community, the tight-knit community that you referred to in the beginning. Yeah, and this is the ripple effect on that community is massive. I have have people who are afraid to be interviewed because, uh, you know, they're still, their cousins, their first cousins are second cousins, they're related to them. They took sides and in taking sides, they lost, they lost their relationships with their families. And that is still hurting. The wounds of this thing is are still there 50 years later. It's hard to believe, Claire. Another fascinating uh, character in the documentary is Anne Donnelly. Um, and Anne is Dick Donnelly's widow. But not only that, she was also the sister of of Marty Kerrigan, wasn't she? Marty, she, of course, yes. who, who she was She was his killed. big sister. And they lo- they just lost their mother, you know, as a young family. I mean, she was the big sister. She was twenty. 21, I think, and he was 19. So, And he was the only boy. So Anne is an extraordinary woman. Uh, again, I interviewed her about two months after Dick died. She was determined to get to do an interview. Dick died suddenly. And she was extraordinary in the sense that she she's fighting to clear Marty's name and has been for the last her 50 brother. years. Her brother. And she also wants an apology for Dick. Uh, and so she's she, she the, the Kerrigans are an extraordinary uh, extraordinary in that way. You think, you know, they could let the go thing go. They can't let it go because it's 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 a it's it's sort of something that's unfinished business for them to to clear his name. He's dead and everything, and they still feel and they're right. He deserves justice. But the extraordinary thing about her is is Alice. She also says Una Linsky deserves justice because and of course. Una Linsky's killer has never been found. Yeah. So she's she's very... She sees that. Her, her killer's never been found. He's still... If he's still at large, or he may be dead. Um, so what, what, what's come out of this is, 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 is a sense that they want a guard apology, a state apology, a posthumous miscarriage of justice, maybe. Um, they feel aggrieved that, that Marty... That they're delighted for Martin Connolly, but feel their, their families the Donnellys and the Kerrigans in some way have been left out of this. Yes. And well, so we can take a listen to Anne now because I have a clip here. Um, she's calling us, as you said, for a statutory inquiry. Let's hear what she has to say in the documentary, Mick. I don't think Dick did get justice. He never got an apology. The least he should have got was an apology. And I think our family should have got an apology for Marty being killed in vain. They didn't look for the right person, the people that did it, or whoever was in that, that other car. So Una didn't get justice. Her killer is at large. Anne Kerrigan speaking on the documentary Crimes and Confessions. You were listening to documentary maker Mick Pilo from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the morning, Ryan Tuberty was back with us and in fine fettle. He was talking to Arthur Garolian, a new judge with Dancing with the Stars, about his childhood, his career in dance and meeting husband Brian Dowling. Pirouetting, leaping, pas de deux, uh, let's see, where are we going? Dancing with the Stars on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Muller Corner, Mullerlicious. 
Well, what a pleasure it is to welcome to the studio and meet for the first time the newest judge on Dancing with the Stars, Arthur Garonlian. Garonlian, well done, yes. Uh, sorry, we'll get to that. Yes, we'll get to it. Lovely Smart. to meet you, Arthur. Nice to meet you. And thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. I honestly feel like I'm talking to an Irish royalty here, <laughs> Ryan. This is amazing. <laughs> you did a great job last night. Thank you. Uh, I thought you really brought the buzz and thank you really enriched the programme so congratulations thank I you really very much that. thank you thank um, you. and how was it for you as you say it was unreal honestly I'm still on Clyde Nye right now it's an amazing spectacular journey I've been on yeah. it's been absolutely amazing when I sat in the chair and then when Jennifer said hello Arthur my heart literally dropped yes. I thought I'm going to lose every single word I have in my body but I enjoyed it honestly. you enjoyed every bit it of it it was so good yeah. Yeah, great hair thank you great. very hot though in the studio yeah, it's, I can it's imagine. It's getting really hot. But great. yeah, thank you. And uh, great style as well. And what I have to ask you what cologne you're wearing. I can, it's, I'm can. i wearing actually Louis Vuitton. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's drifting. It's, it's wafting thank over you here too. I'm it's glad good. you like it. It's very I'm good. Like it. It's all going well. So you're, you're, yeah. you're full, full, full of beans and ready to go this morning, which is great because last night, it's, uh, it's quite an adrenaline. We talked about the adrenaline buzz. Uh, you were wired for you afterwards. 100%. Listen, when we <laughs> finished, I was in my hotel room and I went to bed around 3 a.m. Because normally yeah, when a show finishes, you go partying, you know, yeah. have a couple of drinks, yeah, yeah. you are with lots of people. Yeah. I was in my room alone. I was like, three in the morning, what do I do? Yeah, and you're, 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 your heart's beating. And you're, you yeah, have yeah, no yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. It's it crazy. was amazing. Yeah. And you're, you're originally from Armenia. I am um, And this is a country I know very little about, about other than there was a horrible, it was, was it a civil war? or was it, it was, a, yeah, it was war with Azerbaijan, hence why I left my so country. How old were you when you left Armenia? I was... Uh, 12 going on 13. Now, 12 yeah. years old is uh, is a critical age in, in the life of a young person because you're totally aware. You can't pretend it's a game or an adventure. You know what's happening. What what was happening in, in your family and, and, and in, in that wartime situation? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I think, like you said, I was 12, so I remember a little bit, but I don't at the same time because my mom and my dad covering a lot for their kids yeah. so they were showing everything was fine yeah. but then it wasn't so we literally packed our bags when all that started we packed our bags going on holiday going to I don't know I think our visa was going to Denmark I think mm. and we just left we left everything imagine you're packing your bag going to I don't know Spain yeah. and never come back that's exactly what we did. So I remember all that. I mean, this bigger thing happened, but it was surreal leaving the country. But I was always protected by my mother. She's my idol. She's done everything for me. Isn't that amazing? But who was who was coming to attack, or what were you running from? We were right. It was a war between Azerbaijan and Armenia. Yeah. So it started, you know, out of blue, and um, it was about the territory. And obviously, we didn't want to fight. You know, Armenia's been there since day one. We didn't want to fight. And it's exactly the same thing happened in 2020, September. Not many people know because I don't think people really pay attention to Armenia. But it was very sad. It's happened again 2020. So that's why we left Armenia. And we, yeah. Okay. And was it, was it, a, 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 were you into kind of ethnic cleansing territory or was it more just an uncomfortable situation for your family? It was mainly like ethnic cleansing. They kind of, want to get rid of Armenians really they want to clean clean us that's exactly what they tried to do running away from that with your with your parents protecting you isn't isn't that beautiful how they they put the wings around the children and it, you, you always think of refugees and escape like it's so scary and yet with good parents like you, you describe your mother particularly they bring you somewhere with this like Marvel safe. superhero cloak yes. 
Yeah, listen, I never really knew what they went through. Yeah. Because when we arrived to, I remember where our visa was to go to Denmark, but we end up two weeks travel from Russia, etc., etc., and then we end up in Cologne. I remember we didn't have any money to go to Denmark yeah. to get a train, and my sister was just standing there, and somebody gave money to her. Really? Because they thought she was homeless. So that money actually helped us to go to Belgium. Hence why we ended up in Belgium and then we had to claim asylum and be refugees. And that's where it all started, you know, back in 2004. That was 1994. So February 94. That recently? Yeah, 1994. And then we ended up being refugees in Belgium. So Belgium kind of saved my life, really. So after Arthur lost his father at the very young age of 45, Arthur's attitude to life changed radically at the tender age of 16. And then, um, so, so life then at 16 changes everything and uh, young, shy Arthur in the corner becomes Vababoom Arthur. The crazy, loud, energetic Tasmanian devil, basically. <laughs> the Armenian like, devil. Literally, the Armenian <laughs> devil. I, I just changed because I, I remember I wasn't even dancing or doing anything. Uh, like every parent wanted their kids to have a diploma. And I always loved art. Yes. And I started doing hairdressing because I had uncles who were barbers, hairdressers. So I started doing hairdressing. And I finished and I moved to Brussels. From the little village, I went to the capital of Belgium, Brussels, on my own. I'm like, I can do this. So I was 16 and a half. Went to Belgium, uh, Brussels on my own, and I started doing hairdressing. And then I was keep pushing, keep pushing, and then my dancing career kicked off. And that kicked off. And randomly, completely randomly. Yeah, because how do you, were you just, I mean, were you trained or? Never been trained, Ryan. I always want to perform. I'm a, how do you say, an exhibitionist. I okay. love showing myself. <laughs> I love, I'm not shy. I mean, okay. Yeah, no, I mean, that's good. I that's was shy th- before, but not anymore. Okay. But I remember I was actually, I was like, I want to dance, but I never realized you can be a dancer making money. I never realized it's a career. So I remember I got spotted. I was in Antwerpen with my friends dancing in a club. And I remember the girl came to me saying, can you come with me, please? And I followed her and she said, can you put these shorts on and dance on the podium? And all your friends will have free drinks. Being, I was 19 going to me, I was like, are you serious? Yeah. Why not? Let's do this. So I literally went on the podium, was dancing. You know, at the time it was so big in the clubs, dancers in the clubs. Yeah. So I danced and then she came out later on and she paid me and I said, what are you doing? She said, you are amazing. Like, are you a dancer? I was like, no, I can be. Do you want me to come back next week? That's the story. And so it began. Uh, Liberally, Arthur, drop some names of the great artists you've worked with. Oh, wow. I, show off now. Show I, off. Okay, this is my... Tell us everything. I work with Kylie Minogue, Pussycat Dolls, uh, Beyonce, Pink. Uh, I work with Rihanna. I work with oh, so many... Uh, Emma Bond and Girls Aloud, Banana Rama, Will Young, Charlotte. So many, so many. Okay. I feel and, shy to say do you, do, you, do you get to meet them all and, and, and chat with them all? And if so, uh, who's your knockout? Who did you really admire as a human being and as a performer and an artist? They all have been amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. But I myself my girls who I adore and love is Girls Aloud. Oh, good, okay. Because my career ended with them. Right. I finished dancing when I was 30. I did my last ever tour with Girls Aloud. So they're always, always going to be my ultimate band and like artists I ever worked good with. Good on you. And Arthur spoke about meeting his Irish husband, television presenter Brian Dowling. That's Cross a very path. funny story. Yeah, please. Uh, it was 2002, 27th of December. He keeps saying 28, I'm saying 27. <laughs> Brian, it was in a club. I, it's a funny story because I just broke up with a, with a guy. Yeah. And I was in a club dancing on my own. This song came out. I was like, I'm going to dance and I'm going to go home. Start dancing and I see this guy coming to me. 
kind of arrogant way because he was like, oh yeah, I'm here thinking I know who he is, but I didn't know who he was, <laughs> what he's doing. So he's coming, he started talking to me. And at the time, I couldn't speak English. So I went, yeah, bonjour, ça va? He was like, oh no. And then <laughs> I don't know what's happened. His friends literally pushed him. It's like, who cares? Just go, just yeah. see how it goes. Yeah. And then we start actually, obviously start dating, but I didn't know who he was. So mm. I didn't pay attention. He told me he was a PR. And I said to him, I'm a dancer. He's like, yeah, of course. Like, Every gay guy is a dancer these days. <laughs> so I said, no, I am seriously, like, uh, truly I am. I'm doing actually Zoe Burkett on a TV show next week. It was, I think, January 2003, exactly. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course you are. And I will never forget, for a week we were seeing each other, and I'm there doing CD UK with Zoe Burkett, and then in a canteen saying, I'm seeing this guy, guys, his name is Brian, he's cute, he's in PR, and then I will never forget, in a canteen in Granada Television, Brian Downing and Tess Daly walking past, uh, and I went, oh my God. That's the guy. That's the guy. <laughs> and the girls were like, Brian Downing? I was like, I don't know his second name was Brian. Oh. So long story short, he ignored me. Being a little bitch, can I say that? <laughs> so I, I was like, I can't believe you just ignored me. And then I'm going on live TV, CDAK, 321 live, and I'm seeing Tess and him in the back of the room, gossiping, watching me. So that's how we wow. met. And then we fell in love, but we were dated like four and a half years in, on and off. Okay. You know, we were young. There was so much happening. I just arrived in UK. I wanted to make my own mark. Yeah. You know, I didn't care who you are. I don't really care celebrity life. I don't care. And then we spread out for five years. Okay. Yeah. So not many people know that. We spread yeah. out for five years. You know, I think we were young. It was too... Yeah. Too much so, to, to, to exactly. do. Too much living to do. Exactly. Yeah. And at the time, I remember he was so famous. Like, it was... He was loving life. Sure. So we couldn't date. And then, yeah. And then, long story short, we go back to get in 2011. And it was the best thing we have ever, ever done. And oh he told God. me, now we're back. You know what that means? I was like, what? You have to ask me to marry you. I was like... Oh. You have to ask him. I have to ask Why? him. Why? That's how princess he is. Oh, I, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I was that's, expecting that, that answer. Yeah. He's, he's like, I'm not going to ask you to marry me. You have to oh, ask me. Oh, very good. And now we're together. Yeah. So I asked him in 2014. We got married in 2015. Amazing. Amazing. And you're living in what part of Ireland now? We are in Kildare, Strathan. Okay, great. Yeah. And you're obviously happy and pass on my very best happy. to Brian, obviously. I will, thank you. Um, let me ask you then, of course, about Dancing with the Stars, because that's where we saw you last night uh, in action. And now that you're involved in the programme, shall we talk a little bit about last night? Then. Why, why not? Why Let's do this. Yeah, it's in every single newspaper today. The country oh needed the glitter and the dresses and the it's excitement. True. We a, all needed we that. All needed Honestly, that. we all needed that. Um, who who were you? Who impressed you last night? Do you know what I might say? Nina. Yes, Nina. She was great. Nina Carberry really impressed me. I mean, they were all amazing. What a strong opening. But when Nina, you know, watching the VT, she's not girly. You know, she's been horse riding. Yeah. I didn't know Nina because when I walked in. I never knew who is who. And Nina was like, obviously, a massive champion. And I went, oh my gosh, it's going to be very stiff. It's not going to be maybe nice. And she yeah. absolutely smashed it. Great. I was mesmerized. Arthur Garolian from The Ryan Tuberty Show. And on the lifeline, John Power, originally from Waterford, but now living with his family in Kazakhstan. He was telling Joe how life has changed since violence broke out on the streets. John Power, I know it'll be a difficult line again, but John, good afternoon. And can you tell us uh, what the unrest and the riots and the looting that we're hearing about? I know you're near Almaty. Uh, how has it affected you, John, in your day-to-day life? 
Well, it's changed. Hopefully, you can hear me. It's changed yeah. it completely because we have barely been outside the home in the last four or five days. Um, the, the first night of the writing, um, we didn't have any news information for a while, but mm-hmm. around 12 o'clock, we um, were able to get the internet. And our son, he started lo- um, looking at what was happening, and he was worried about how close it'll get to us or will it get here. Um, one, the biggest uh, difference is, though, that we have no, for most of the time, we've had no access to any form of communication. Okay. No internet, no TV, no radio. Um, it's only yesterday was the first time I was able to call home to let the parents know that I was okay. Okay. And, and uh, John, what is your understanding of why this rioting, this, well, it's not an uprising at this stage, but why this rioting, though, given the Russian intervention, they, they're treating it as an uprising. Um, why, why this has happened? Um, the, the original reason why there was protests was um, there was an increase in fuel prices um, with the result, as a result of the fuel cap being removed. Um, but very quickly, the government uh, reversed and put the uh, cap back on, okay. so the prices went, went there. So that was the initial reason for the protests happening. But it's, it's pro- most likely to do with the disparity between the wealthy and not so wealthy, and the fact that a lot of people are um, are in the country who don't have access to good jobs, good um, mm. good standards of living, etc. Um, so. Um, my own, my own belief is it's probably something to do with that. Um, just people angry that there is just uh, one political party, that there is no, there is no evidence of change, that there should be money coming into the country as it's oil rich yeah, and yeah. I believe mineral rich as well. And when you say the the inequality, um, how like can can locals go to restaurants or? Is... Oh, they they, they can. <laughs> Um, but it's it's um, one thing to be able to go and another thing to be able to afford. Yeah. Um, like when my, when myself, uh, my wife, and um, our son, we go out for a meal. Yeah. Um, and for us, it's it's reasonably cheap, like much cheaper than you pay in um, any place in Ireland uh, for for a good meal and a drink. But that would be the same as, as uh, many local people's weekly or even um, two weekly salary. Wow. And um, is, so and does that? Does... <laughs> There has been looting, as you know, and we're yeah. told 164 people dead, 130 dead in Almaty, which you are quite close to. Um, are, are people like yourself, are you likely to be targets for looting? Um, I, I can't really say, but I do know I have, I have friends who were right in the centre. And dur- during the worst of the riots, they, they were terrified. They were lying on the floor, lights off, um, hearing the... Um, explosions going off around them, um, lots of noise. Um, and um, I, I don't think the locals or the protesters or the rioters or whatever mm. are specifically targeting foreigners, but then um, a large percentage of the population here are Russian Kazakhs, so they basically look like Western Europeans. Um, so there'd be no reason why they'd, they wouldn't um, assume I was just um, a local a wealthy person and a rioter here. Um, but well, you're, you're about 10 to 15 minutes away from where most of the protests were happening. Mm-hmm. And But uh, the president, um, Kaziem Jomart Takiev, he was as well as asking for help from uh, Vladimir Putin, which he's got overnight, he also said there would, there's a shoot-to-kill policy for anyone that's suspected of rioting. Does that mean people are afraid to go out in the street? Um 
I, I, I can't speak for other people, but yeah, um, we, we, we basically haven't really left home um, for the last uh, four or five days. There is a little shop which is about 100 metres away from us, so we've been there, but mm. that's it. Um, what we do know is um, the government sends these text messages, and we've had uh, some people help translate them for us. Um, but if, if there are certain areas in the city where if you go, um, th- there is a shoot-to-kill policy as far as I understand this. Good God. That's John Power on the Live Line with Joe Duffy. And on Today with Claire Byrne, you might be winning the war on waste in the kitchen, but how green is your bathroom? Well, that was the question for Dr Sinead O'Brien and Reusey's Pat Kane. Pat, I'm going Thank to start you. with you. Um, sure. You're very welcome back to the programme. When, we, when we're thinking about skin, first of all, everyone's skin needs a different. Can you adapt to a more sustainable routine, if, even if you have very specific problems? So say you have oily skin or dry skin, acne or, or psoriasis. Does that make it more difficult to be sustainable? Hi, Claire. Thanks for the question and Happy New Year. Same it's to great you. to be back. Um, you can absolutely adapt. Yeah, so natural products, clean products or low-tox products, they are available, you know, in a, like in every possible shape or form, every ingredient you can imagine. So absolutely, that's not a barrier. It's all about, I guess, understanding what you're buying, understanding the ingredients, trying to read that label a bit more, and, you know, just asking. Asking the brands, if you go down to Google, you know, you will be brought down the the rabbit hole, right? So ask the brand, you know, this is my skin. What do you think I should go for? We get tons of questions every week about skincare. It's absolutely fine. And the options are, like, immense. Um, You know, there's a lot of options out there. Mm -hmm. Sinead, you, as I said, created your own line and this all started when you had your first baby in 2015. So what happened then? What did you notice about the toiletries you were using for your baby? So I originally started Peachy when I had problems with my own skin in my early 20s and um, I just wanted to have a much more simple approach. I just felt if I stripped everything back, I'd have a a better starting point to go forward with it. And um, I did so much research into it and I did a natural skincare course and I realised how toxic some ingredients can be in a lot of main brand products that are out on the shelves at the moment and I realised more and more how important what you're putting on your skin can be in the long term because ingredients it's so important for people to understand the ingredients and an ingredient label and a product because um, essentially, essentially we want them to do a number of things aesthetically we want them to work we want our skin to look good but also they can have an impact on our bodies systemically once they're absorbed onto our skin on the surface some products and some ingredients have a toxic effect within the body and we've become quite good arguably at reading food labels not so much yeah. when it comes to the toiletries that we're using and that would be one of my main arguments especially when it comes to natural skin care for children we're so aware of what we feed them especially at the point of weaning and stuff like that that we don't often take into consideration what we're putting on their skin and with babies especially newborns you know they're born and their skin is so thin and they're coming from an aqueous environment in, into an atmospheric environment and they can dry up quite quickly but you know, there's little tips like don't wash them too much when they're when they're that young. You know, it's totally against what you'd naturally think. But also in terms of ingredients, 
essential oils uh, sh- really shouldn't be in any baby products for um, too harsh aren't they too harsh mm. their skin is too thin and they're very sensitive to it so once they're like three or four or five months you can start introducing things like that but people aren't aware of these type of things and effects that ingredients can have so top and tail them don't be sticking them in the bath that is the exactly <laughs> what I say top and tail them don't be washing them all the time they need that's their natural protective you know bacteria on their skin and it's their main protective barrier when they're born and Pat Kane spoke about cutting back on products in the bathroom. The first thing I did was to try and read the labels, right? So the first thing that catches my eye when I'm browsing beauty counters is aesthetic labeling. So, you know, all the minimal, beautiful labels, all the stuff we want. And as tempting as trending packaging and clever buzzwords are, they don't make a product safe. You know, it's what Sinead was saying. We're not taught, we're not educated enough. We're looking at ingredients or we're looking at claims that are not necessarily true, right? So uh, what, are you look, what are you looking for when you're looking at the label? Mm. So I'm looking for ingredients. If I don't understand something, if I'm curious about something, I ask. I ask the brand directly. Brands are out there ready to talk to us. Talk to them on social media, absolutely. There's an app out there also that is paid for. However, it's excellent. It's called the Chemical Maze app. It's 699, if I'm not mistaken, on iPhone. And um, as I said, it's fact-based, and Google can drag you down that rabbit hole. Not a good idea. So we want fact-based stuff, right? Okay. But if you're, if, you're doing a, if you're doing a quick read of the label, I know that some of the symbols you look out for, you yeah. look out for the V label. What does that tell you? You're looking for Cosmos Organic Certification, if there's something that you are, you want, right, an organic product. You're looking for vegan, you're looking for cruelty-free. Um, to keep it very simple, you would read the labels and try to understand what ingredients mean. Ingredients then sound, that will sound too good to be true probably are too good to be true. You're looking at the leaping bunny sign, you know, um, the idea is to look if that product is a cruelty-free product, not tested on animals. If that, again, as the previous speaker was saying, if that's part of your values, that's an important thing, obviously. You know, the V-label, again, no animal-based ingredients. If you're looking for a vegan product, you know, I would always be opting for natural, vegan, cruelty-free. These are my non-negotiables. They're part of my values, right? Um, and I would look at three different areas. You know, choosing products that do not contain plastic, like your microbeads that have been banned, but some products will still be out there and will contain those. I would be avoiding products that are packaged in plastic and could ultimately end up in the ocean, right, litter. And number three, I would be choosing products that are, aren't harmful to the waterways as they are washed off, aka they're packed with chemicals and they will end up in the waterways. Pat Kane from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the morning, Limerick schoolgirl Cy Ryan was on the line to Ryan Tuberty to talk about her feelings about being in a Baltic classroom in the middle of winter. And you wrote a letter to the Taoiseach and the Minister for Education um, to say what? I wrote an email to the Minister for Education and the Taoiseach to say that our schools are absolutely freezing and that there was no thought put into it when they were in talks with us. And it's just really cold and there's no one listening. You'll have to explain it to people because I really, until you hear it from the horse's mouth, you don't realise how cold it must be in, in a classroom in the middle of mm. winter. What, what, what happened, what's open in the classroom in terms of doors, windows and everything? So our windows are all open and our doors are open and they have to be open because if our CO2 monitors go to red, we have to leave the classroom. 
Um, okay. So, yeah. And sometimes <laughs> those monitors might be going to red anyway, but you just keep going. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but uh, the, 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 perp, the, the bottom line is the cold. Uh, and yeah. So what did you say to the Taoiseach and to the minister in your, in your email? Um, I basically said that um, our classrooms are not within the temperatures that they should be. Like there was a statement released by the INTO saying that they should be, I think it was 17.2 and our classrooms aren't reaching that. They're going way below and we haven't been in school in January and February since COVID started and these are the coldest months of the year. So we haven't experienced this cold yet like... Exactly, and that so now it's when it's go when, as they say when it goes fully Baltic and you're sitting there going yeah. what, what what happens to, in terms of uniform is there because I know I understand that you like your school and this isn't yeah. a, a popular school or anything like that but it's more yeah. like, what do you do in terms of you know we were I was talking at home about gloves and fingerless gloves and you know jumpers yeah. like are you allowed is there is there wriggle room in terms of what you're allowed to wear now Yeah no we're allowed we we layer up as much as we can like sure. I'm wearing my school uniform now and then I have my jumper and my cardigan and my jacket and I have leggings on underneath my skirt like, and two pairs of sco- socks <laughs> I have gloves on and everything it's oh freezing so you to, and you're still cold <laughs> yeah I'm still cold <laughs> okay and, they, and it is, I presume the same goes for the teachers and everything um, yeah so what is the answer I mean if, 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 if they're saying look you have to go to school you ha- uh, and to, do, to, to be in school you have to have everything open otherwise we're going to close yeah. the schools down no one wants that to happen so what, yeah. what's the answer to this um, I think the answer is to get HEPA filters into every school. Like, I understand that the, you still have to have the windows open with the with having the HEPA filters because the HEPA filters, they filter the air and then opening the windows lets in ventilation and the only thing we're missing is the heat. Yeah. That's I, Ryan, from the Ryan Tupperty Show. And in the afternoon, caller Siobhan, not her real name, contacted Joe on the Liveline about the care of her 101-year-old mother. Siobhan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Uh, it's, uh, it's only when your mother hit 97, which is incredible, that she needed caring, uh, a help with caring from the state, not full-time caring. Uh, so that's four years ago. And what's happened over Christmas, Siobhan? Well, just before Christmas, literally about the 23rd, in amongst a bundle of cards for Mammy, arrived a letter from the HSE. Mm -hmm. A very polite letter, but stating that due to severe staff shortages, Mammy's carer's hours would be cut, so she would no longer have her carer every second Saturday, for now, right up until the end of May. And the last line of the letter said, you know, if... We will endeavour to source staff and we'll be back in touch if the situation changes. And so when I came in first, I read it and I thought, okay, park this. We just do, we'll do Christmas. And then I thought Mm -hmm. about it and thought about it. And I thought, this is actually quite outrageous. Somebody somewhere has sat down and made a decision that a 101-year-old is okay to leave without a carer for 48 hours. Um, Just... And the, and the letter actually lists the dates when she will not have a carer for even for a couple of hours. It's not for it's not for the full day by any stretch. She won't have a carer on Saturday, fifteenth of January, twenty ninth to twelfth of February, twenty sixth of February, twelfth uh, of March, twenty sixth of March, the ninth of April, the twenty third of April, and it goes on. Um, what 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 is the the commitment, the caring commitment to your mother at the moment? Well, when when she, it's not a shower day. 
she gets a half an hour in the morning, about 15 minutes at lunchtime and a half an hour at night. But these are vital to her, Joe, because they enable her to be independent. They give her a sense of privacy. The carers, they are superb. They're a fantastic team of carers. And they wash her or they shower her and they dress her and they undress her. Now, we could do it, Joe. But it enables Mammy to remain independent. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do a lot anyway. Yes, we you do. Know, yeah. we do. And I know you're the you're, fact that the, we have geographical constraints. Yeah, and that, if Mammy yeah. is 101, you can guess the age of her children. So without saying too much, you know, none of us are in our 20s anymore either. That's a very good point. And, your, and her daughters live in different counties. In different counties, um, yeah. And what, what is, as you call it, what is Mammy's own reaction to this? Uh, she was very upset, Joe, because at that age, any change in a routine, yeah. any difference, even a different carer, sometimes just actually causes yeah. distress. And the idea, now, she, you know, she's very stoic and, and of that generation, well, if that's what's to happen, that's what's to happen, and doesn't really want to ruffle the waters or, you know, but she was upset. She was upset at the idea that, you know, it's, she's 101, and mm-hmm. h- how do they make these decisions? And as you, as you see, they are current, HSE in the letter say, we are currently struggling to uh, fill every weekend due to extreme uh, staff shortages, and we are unable to source staff to work uh, every Saturday, so therefore you will not have a service on the following dates, 2022. Now they don't allude to the fact, like we understand that you're that um, you are 101. No. Um, and this letter, by the way, is addressed to to the daughters, not to Mammy. But we we accept that you, we 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 acknowledge they don't even acknowledge. Well, your mother is 101, and this will be uh, an incredibly difficult to lose effectively a weekend of care of any visit of any. Uh, health visitors um, and, and can is there an appeal system well I did write I did write okay. to the home care, home health coordinator and I did ask her well first of all I wanted to place on record our total dismay at this but also yeah. ask her to reconsider the decision because obviously it has been a decision um Somebody has made this decision that that Mammy is capable of doing without it that's Siobhan on the live line with Joe Duffy And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself till next time.